I was born in Mexico, in a city called Chihuahua. I have a lot of fond memories of that place. Now, even though I only lived there briefly, we used to go back every year to visit. And once I found out about her, I would ask on every visit for my parents to take me by to see Pascualita. The name comes from Pascuala Esparza, who in 1930 was the owner of a bridal gown shop. That particular year, she was ecstatic to provide a bridal gown for her own daughter's wedding. However, on the day of the wedding, the daughter was bitten by a black widow spider and died. Shortly after, a new mannequin went up in the display window, and it looked a lot like Pascuala. Before long, people started to notice that this particular mannequin was a lot more detailed than they were used to seeing at storefronts. A lot more detailed. The face more supple, with complex features and a lifelike expression. Unbelievable details and lines in the hands, and even varicose veins on the legs. The details on this mannequin were so realistic, in fact, that before long, word started to go around that this was not a mannequin at all, but the embalmed corpse of Pascuala's dead daughter. At this point in time, that daughter's name is long forgotten, but the nickname Pascualita stuck around. By the way, at one point Pascuala did end up issuing a public statement saying that this was not the corpse of her daughter, but by then word had gotten out, and people were convinced. Having gone to see her in person a few times myself, I think, maybe, I'm convinced too. I'm Albie Robles, and I want you to scare me. Like several guests before him, Chaz of the Dead is a paranormal investigator. His studies and investigation have actually taken him to South America to research for his new book. What sets him apart is how he conducts his investigations. I've talked to a few paranormal investigators, and I gotta say, I haven't talked to one yet who uses this particular approach. The way he describes it, it's a holistic and biocentric approach, combining the research of psychonauts and paranormal investigators for the very first time in a modern and Western tradition. What does this mean? I don't think I can explain it better than he can. So here's Chaz. I'm uh, Chaz, Chaz of the Dead, and I'm a paranormal investigator and writer. So how I got started, um, the fascination with the paranormal, was a pretty bizarre experience. I was in my childhood room, um, and I was uh, sleeping on the bottom bunk of bunk beds, um, right? And we had just built these bunk beds, and my older brother, being the oldest, he got the top bunk. And I was moved into the bottom bunk, which just used to be his bed. So one night, I'm, you know, I'm maybe eight or nine, and I'm sleeping in bed. And I fall out of bed and wake up. And staring back at me from underneath the bed is a pair of red eyes, like glowing red eyes, almost from like a cartoon Halloween effect. They're just staring at me. Of course, being a little kid, I'm terrified. I jump back on the bed, blanket over my head, because that's how you're safe. And I waited out till, till the morning. 
And when the morning comes, um, you know, I'm a kid, but I'm, I'm still pretty rational. So I start cleaning out underneath that bed, looking for anything that could make maybe a red light, anything that could explain what I saw. And without prompting, my older brother, he was climbing down the ladder from the top bunk, and he looked and saw me cleaning out underneath the bed, and he asked, did you see the red eyes too? Because the exact same experience had happened to him while he was sleeping on that bed uh, a few weeks before. Um, so for me, that was kind of the moment where it like set me off. I was like, oh, wow, like ghosts and all that stuff. Are, are real. Something is real, right? Because I experienced something and my brother experienced something that science cannot explain uh, to this day, even if it is just a shared hallucination, right? What causes a shared hallucination like that? What is the source of something like that uh, is still beyond what, what science understands. Uh, and interestingly enough, it had a, a similar or it had the opposite reaction uh, on my older brother. For a while, he was very, uh, you know, staunch atheist and, you know, only trusted in science and didn't want to consider anything uh, paranormal, uh, even though we had shared that experience. He's, he's lightened up on those, those ideas since then. Uh, but our, our immediate reactions to that were, were quite different, which was, uh, you know, a very interesting uh, uh, thing about it. I think a lot of people... Um, it's one way or the other, you know, you're either, well, I want to know more or you're freaked out and you don't want to, you don't want to see it ever again. A little after that, um, probably, you know, 12, 13, uh, young teen is when I started doing, you know, traditional ghost hunting stuff. Um, I had a Ouija board and, you know, I'd go out with my EVP recorders and try to take pictures and, you know, do seances with people and friends and that kind of stuff. From there, it took some time to kind of move past the uh, uh, the ghost adventures phase, which is a fun phase. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Um, but getting into, you know, theory and investigators like John Keel and Jacques Vallée and these ideas uh, where the phenomenon bumps up to the edges of, of science of consciousness, of reality, in these kinds of places. Um, that's where I got more interested. That's when I really kind of kind of sunk in. And that's kind of also where I took on UFOs when I started considering UFOs as a, a area worth more consideration, more investigation. And uh, it took me a long time to kind of correlate the two between going ghost hunting and, and UFO hunting and, and Bigfoot hunting. Um, for me, they're, and now they're all kind of in, in the same space in my mind. Um, but, you know, the, the younger investigator in me, it, it definitely wasn't, right? They're all different things. Um, so that's, that's a place uh, where I take these investigations through the, the psychedelic lens, where all of these phenomenon, they, they share these aspects um, that are shared when you're doing a psychedelic trip. <laughs> and that's the easiest way, way to put it, is when I hear you know, a UFO, uh, a person who's been an abductee or a contactee who's had one of these bizarre encounters, um, to me it sounds like what, you know, they obviously, a lot of times they went through something, right? And we see that with the scars or the implants, you know, these physical things that are left. 
they went through something. But the stories they're telling are are stories I've heard from many a uh, uh, psychonaut, right? Many a person who's been on on DMT or a high dose of mushrooms, mescaline, a variety of these chemicals seem to give off similar effects. Um, so my investigation style is really geared towards and focused on um, trying to, you know, create the phenomenon through my own consciousness by putting myself into these, these states uh, and hopefully generating some kind of physical proof alongside it. I want to see something weird when I'm under these effects, um, but I, I'm not satisfied with just seeing it, right? I want it to leave something behind. Um, and that's that's where we're we're trying to to go with this, um, and we're and we're doing it. We're we're sussing out you know the variety of chemicals and doses and those kinds of things that work best. But it is a shot in the dark. It's kind of trying to imitate these processes that were were known long ago, um, in, in the Amazon and in, in the Americas. The the shamans they had this this down to a science. So this is kind of trying to reverse engineer that lost science where they had a, a respect for these entities, spirits, whatever they, they chose to call them, um, because they had interactions with them. And that's where we're trying to, to get back to, to the point where we can have uh, an interaction and maybe, maybe get some evidence. Today, I'm here promoting my new book, Paranormal Expeditions Hunt for the Friendship. It is a story of UFOs, Nazis, psychedelics, and an expedition to the edge of the world. And it's a, a rare case uh, that hasn't been covered much in the English-speaking world, um, the case of the friendship that I investigated. Um, so this group, the friendship, they are um, tall, blonde people um, who claim to be extraterrestrials based out of southern Chile. And people have been having encounters and interactions with this group for several decades. Um, some of them positive and some of them more, more negative. Uh, and it, it leads uh, many to question what, they're, what, what is the truth behind them, uh, whether they are uh, physical entities or uh, aliens or possibly human beings uh, in disguise. So I came across the case first through listening to podcasts. I think I came across it several years ago, and it, it stuck out to me because it represented a case that has all the aspects. There's maybe a human explanation when it comes to uh, escaped Nazis. There's also a bunch of UFO lore attached to it, though, that makes one think it's, it's more paranormal. There's ancient mythology in this area of Patagonia that also lines up in strange ways with the modern legend. Um, so it was, it was something that really uh, stood out to me. Um, there were also some synchronicities towards the case, weird coincidences when it came to doing research. I found a, an interesting advertisement that was posted by someone in my hometown that was posted in Chile and they were looking for the group. And that was kind of one of those weird uh, connections that drew me towards the case. Um, but it's, it's kind of all of those things. It's, uh, for me, it was a, a perfect case. And the fact that no one had really gone down there and, and really looked into it, um, not in a long time anyways, I decided to do it myself.
I first arrived in Chile, September 2019. And this was after doing about a year of research, just gathering stories and gathering information. Um, I landed in Santiago and I immediately went to do some uh, investigation of just some general UFO sites. Uh, what I found is Chile is a, a country filled with, with UFO sites, landing spots, um, places where you can go up in the mountains and, and watch the mountain lights. Um, it's really deeply embedded into the culture. Um, so we went there and we uh, investigated this UFO trail. Um, trail's kind of a, a misnomer uh, because it's just a bunch of cities scattered in the, the foothills of the Andes. Uh, you know, you can't really walk this trail. You have to take a bus kind of deal. Um, but we went to some various, um, you know, landing sites and these kinds of things just to look into uh, the, the mythology there. One of the things I did um, while I was there is I conducted a psychedelic experiment. Uh, and this location was Lake Colburn. Uh, it's tucked pretty high up into to the Andes. And during the winter time when we visited, uh, it's dry, it's a dry lake bed. So me and my assistant, we were able to walk out onto the, the lake bed and we did um, a small, relatively small dose of LSD just to investigate this idea that perhaps these entities aren't totally physical, that there may be a psychedelic element to these um, entities. And uh, this was one of our, our scariest moments investigating. Um, at first, we're, you know, we're feeling the effects, having, having a laugh, feeling good. So we split up, just walk around and get the feeling of the area. And while I'm, I'm walking away, you know, I quietly ask myself, why is th this a hot spot? Why would a UFO want to appear here? Um, and my assistant, who is 100 yards away at this point, at this moment, she did not hear what I said. I said it to myself under my breath. But at this moment, she starts hearing an, an auditory hallucination. And it's in a, a strange language. She's never heard anything like it before. Um, couldn't understand it. Uh, but one thing I know for certain is she was terrified. Um, you know, just the, the panic looked on her face, uh, tears welling up in her eyes. She was really, really worried. Um, and so we, we kind of got up and, and started getting out of there. The moment we were out of the dried lake bed, um, the, the sound stopped. She couldn't hear it anymore. Uh, so that was, was an interesting, interesting uh, results on that experiment. Um, there were also some strange photos we took that day, but of course, uh, I don't really go in for orbs and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, there were some weird photos, but I, I, I tend to dismiss those. Um, but it was definitely a, a strange day and a strange experiment. Um, so throughout the uh, investigation, I conducted a couple more of those um, experiments with uh, uh, varying results. But uh, it's uh, definitely a part of the book that's gotten a lot of attention. Um, you know, positive and negative. Some people uh, think it's foolish, and it probably is a little bit, uh, given the legality of these experiments. But I think it's it's a path uh, that is going to to be a little more fruitful than um, using your EVP recorder and <laughs> the, all these these ghost hunting techniques that haven't quite panned out towards evidence. There were quite a few um, interesting witnesses I met. 
some of the, the research that went into this book, some of the cases that I came across. There's a particular one about a, a Chilean army sergeant, um, and it's a pretty uh, famous case in South America, but it's not quite known as well um, in North America. And this army sergeant, he was running a training mission with seven or eight other soldiers, and they were stationed on a hill when they saw a bright light, you know, skip between the mountains. And like I mentioned, the, the mountain lights are a known thing in these areas. So they didn't think too much of it until it stopped and started getting closer to them. You know, this bright light started descending on onto their camp. They were camped up next to some sheep and they had a dog and all the animals were, were panicked. They were afraid, but they were stuck staring at this light. They take formation. But the sergeant, he walks off towards the light. A few minutes later, they, they're able to find him, and he's disoriented. He's wondering where he is. Um, he can't remember his, his uh, co-workers. Uh, he can't remember his own name for a while. But the strangest thing about this is he was only gone for roughly 15 minutes. But the clean-shaven sergeant came back with five days' worth of beard growth. And his watch had also been set forward five days. And it's those cases. It's that where something undeniably physical has happened to that person. It's something that's gone beyond our, our understanding. Because even if it is just a, you know, alien spaceship, that still doesn't make sense. How is he able to grow hair that it's completely beyond our, our understanding. So finding cases and investigating locations like that in person is, is always exciting. It's always fun. And it, it's a little intimidating, especially when conducting uh, some of those psychedelic experiments. But for the most part, the experiments conducted, while they were quite dangerous in some cases, but it's hopefully bringing us closer to an understanding of where the line between consciousness and this paranormal phenomenon is. There's a, a really good investigation that kind of pushed me over the edge on, on ghost hunting stuff towards more of the, the UFO stuff. As I was trying this very early on, experimenting with this the psychedelic method, um, and I was doing a Ouija board seances. Um, I was still kind of in the ghost hunting mind frame. And I, you know, had been toying with this idea of how, how close the phenomenon is to our, our consciousness. So I figured I'd do a seance while uh, consuming mushroom teas. Um, and I made a variety of different ones for each experiment um, in each seance. Um, and nothing happened. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I might've convinced myself to move the, the planchette, but I never spelled any, it never spelled anything. I never got, you know, a, any huge, uh, you know, wrappings, none of the typical seance stuff, but in between two of these experiments, I was hanging out with a friend. Um, we were, we were having a smoke on the back porch, same area where I had conducted these mushroom seances. Um, this must have been three or four days after I had conducted one. We're sitting there and I'm talking about these experiences uh, and these experiments. And my friend's kind of like, oh, that's, you know, that's crazy. Whatever. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a joke. And a large triangle shaped craft 
hovered right over the house. It comes above the tree line, just above the tree line, close enough where I could have thrown a rock and maybe ding the side of it. Um, triangle shape with a light on each side. And it kind of just hovered over the house just for a minute. It was a light mechanical hum. And then it continued on. And the timing of it seemed significant because we had been talking about these, these experiments and that kind of thing. A little later on, while doing one of these experiments, I was sipping a mushroom tea, and, you know, getting ready to do the experiment. And while I'm sitting there sipping the tea, I see a object. I'm watching planes. I'm actually watching planes cross the sky, you know, leave their, their trails. And then I see a light that doesn't quite look like a plane, doesn't quite look like a helicopter. Um, and it suddenly bursts into several smaller lights and kind of scatter off in different directions, almost like a, when a satellite re-enters and explodes into to various directions. Uh, but I couldn't find any re-entries that night. Uh, no news about a satellite, you know, re-entering like that. Um, it was definitely bizarre. And it was bizarre because I had just started sipping the tea, right? And you have a, at least an hour, roughly, <laughs> before it kicks in after you drink the whole glass. So I wasn't quite under the effects. And through the, the research I've done, it seems like the days afterwards, or when you're, you're not quite under a heavy effect, just a subtle effect of these psychedelic drugs, that seems to, to for whatever reason, help facilitate these sightings more than necessarily a, an extremely high dose. Um, now, of course, if you take a high dose of any of these drugs, you'll see some, you'll see some shit. Um, but when it comes to, to, I suppose, manifesting these more group hallucinations where my friend who hadn't been doing these experiments, he saw the triangle shaped craft too. Uh, I mean, he was there with me. So that's another angle we're looking at, uh, when it comes to the, the psychedelic phenomena is, uh, how to maybe get that just subtle enough influence that it starts to affect reality for groups of people instead of just the individual. For skeptics, um, I would say, first off, I get it. Um, and I know uh, just from the stories I've told, uh, by no means do I sound like a skeptic, but pick up the book, read it, and you'll find I am pretty skeptical, especially when it comes to my own research. Um, uh, I'll be honest, when it's, when it's nothing, um, that's a lot. <laughs> a lot of times I get nothing and it's part of the process. But for the skeptics who, who want to completely ignore the phenomenon, um, I would say do some research. Look into cattle mutilations. Look into these alien implants. Uh, look into these, these physical aspects that have been confirmed. Um, I mean, for me, the alien implants is one of the biggest ones. You can go and you can see, um, uh, I believe it's Dr. Lear, who's taken out these objects from people. And they're not, they're not splinters. They're not, you know, accidentally in there. They're strange looking devices made out of weird metal and weird plastics and things. And that would be one thing. But these people are also reporting that they're having these alien abduction experiences. So we can't just dismiss this, especially when it's, it's a physical thing that's happening to someone. We're not finding implants in random people. It's these people who say, hey, this happened to me, and they did something, and they're, they're able to confirm it. Um, and time and time again, if you want to take a famous case, Travis Walton, 
um, fire in the sky. He disappeared in front of seven of his coworkers, all seven of who became under suspicion for murder because <laughs> their coworker had disappeared. You know, no one's setting up a, a prank that could ruin their lives like that. You're not going to get all seven people to agree to a, a single story unless it happened. The testimony of eyewitnesses, of course, is, is dubious, but not when it's seven people. Let's say they saw the same thing happen. I guess the final word to skeptics would be uh, keep an open mind because you'll find there are, are lots of things yet to be explained. And uh, trying to do the explaining is the best part of science. So I urge you to come investigate with us. Do you want to try to scare me? If you've had or have heard about a paranormal experience you'd like to share, or if the area you live in has a particularly scary legend or lore, I want to hear it. Send an email to scareme at albirobelesvoice.com. Scare Me is produced by Albi Robles Voice and features original music by Adam Clifton. Additional sound beds are provided by Stephen D. Voiceovers. You can follow us on social media. We are Scare Me Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For voiceover booking information or to inquire about having your own podcast produced, go to www.albiroblesvoice.com.